To whom much is given, much is required. Part of that requirement is sharing. Culture is the heartbeat within our lives, and it's at the core of so many things. While we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom, I welcome you to your wisdom retreat at Culture Raises Us. Terry Ross TR, welcome, 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 bro. Appreciate you. Now, listen, you know, so for the listeners and viewers today, um, I met Terry probably over 20 years ago through a, a mutual friend. Um, and he's literally been that individual that always seems what I say to be in the right place at the right time with the right people, for sure. And he's had an extensive music background that I'll let him kind of share in depth um, shortly. But he's worked with the likes of a Sierra, uh, Tori Kelly, Leona Lewis, um, and Latoy Luckett, to name a few. Um, but again, before he goes into the deep dive on him, Tara, I want to start with the question that we we tee up to all of our amazing guests. And so when you hear culture, what does that mean to you? It means um, uniqueness, man. Uniqueness and diversity to me. That's what culture means in an art form. You know what I mean? Um, because there's so many different cultures, so many different, you know, art forms to the culture, the food, the clothing, all of that. You know, is is unique and and diverse in the many cultures that we have around the world. You know what I mean? If it, and I love I love when you talk about. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was saying. So that's what that's what when I think of that, I think of I think of that the diversity and the uniqueness of of all the cultures. Yeah, d- diversity is a powerful word in that in that definition. Diversity is a definite, powerful word in that definition. Yeah. Um, so again, I gave a high level. Um, I want you to go into a little depth of who TR is, my guy Terry, for those who, again, do not have the 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 blessing of knowing you, but share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, you know, like like um you said, I've I've worked with a you know various number of artists. You know, I was born in DC, man, and just, you know, was I was, you know, in DC doing my thing. You know what I'm saying? I was out doing my thing and you know I hooked up with a few friends that you know um Ryan Glover and Chris Hicks they actually came out to Howard to go to school and you know Chris Chris's mom and my mom have known each other for a lot forever you know so I've known Chris all my life and he came out to Howard him and Ryan and we hooked we connected and we just started building and doing some things right around right along the time that Puff was doing his thing up there throwing parties doing doing shows and stuff like that so uh me and Ryan and Chris we hooked up um we started doing shows uh and then eventually we got to Atlanta and met with Nooney uh, who was already in Atlanta you know doing the music thing um so you know from us building up all these relationships we you know, decided to go to Atlanta to do a do a concert, a huge concert, you know, promotion concert down there. And it was very successful. And we hooked up with Nooney and then we started Noontime. That was it, man. We just got a bunch of really hot uh, producers at first. That was our staple was the producers. And then we, you know, hooked up with uh, some artists, you know, because once you build a studio, the, the talent is going to come. People want to be around 
high producer. Right. They won't be around talent. So we built that and then you know, just flow. The flow was coming. Everybody was coming. And when we moved to Atlanta, you know, we were already, you know, doing our thing in the streets of D.C. So when we moved to Atlanta, we already had cars. We already had jewelry. So it wasn't like we were in the music business. You had all the things. We had all the toys. You know what I mean? That people were attracted to. So that made us um, pretty much like, like, who is these guys? Like, who are these dudes? They ain't, they ain't in the music industry. They come down here to Atlanta with all this nice stuff. Like, you know what I mean? So that kind of like drew people to us. And we just started connecting with everybody and meeting people. And, and then that was it. That was the formula for, for the success of Moon Time was, was that, was us four four individuals with no talent, didn't know anybody, didn't you know, have any musical talents or whatever, but we knew how to push the narrative forward with our artists and our and our producers and our writers. Right. So it's definitely not no talent. It's a different talent that you brought to the table, um, and expertise. Especially with all of you coming together. Yeah, all of you coming together, it's a it was a pretty special thing to see. And so you know, as long as I've known you, you've been doing things that I, I call very disruptive, right? And disrupting the norm in all the right ways, to be honest. And you even speak to it just now when you were breaking down, you know, your early journey in a very humble way, by the way, because you didn't even keep going on the note yeah. or the other things. But we're going we to touch that. Yeah. Um, but, but starting back to your noontime days, you know, even of, you know, championing, like you said, producers, songwriters, and bringing that magic to the forefront at a time when it was still very artist-led um, is a thing that I find to be one of the most, as I look at it now, one of the most disruptive things that are happening with our culture to date is what you're now doing, I think, with this Carnegie Hall piece, which Absolutely. I can't tell you enough how excited I am to speak about this for a number of things, but I, I want to go deep on your Carnegie Hall work because it's still to this day, blows my mind of what you're doing here. And, and I'll provide some context as to why. I, I grew up in New York City, right? So I'm a New York City boy. And Carnegie Hall for me has always been something that wasn't welcoming of me. Um, and it felt like a place that I had to assimilate to if I ever even thought of even entering it. So when you talk about cultivators, and that's what we talk about and talk to here on this platform, and the planting of seeds. The seed that you are planting is already changing literally the way in which my daughters can view Carnegie Hall, right? And their ability, more importantly, to enter as their unapologetic selves. So I'm gonna need you to please walk us through not only the story of what you're doing there at Carnegie Hall, but how did you even get into the room to make all this possible, bro? This is this is very interesting. Um, so back, right during the election, um, during the Biden Harris campaign, right, and even before he got elected, a friend of mine called me and was like, "Yo, we need, I need you for some, you know, we want to get celebrities to to talk about the election and make sure people come out and vote, blah blah blah." So they hooked us up with. So she hooked me up with someone in the DNC. Um, the Democratic National okay. Committee, of course. And, and there's this guy named Cyrus. So we used to get on these calls and we was trying to figure out how to 
the first hundred days of how black men and we've incarcerated men and incarcerated women, how are we going to, you know, bring them back and let them come back into society the right way? You know, just an agenda. Yeah, just an agenda for that. So we used to get on these Zoom calls and then one day, you know, he, he asked for my number on one of the Zoom calls and, um, and I gave it to him. And then he called me on the side note. He was, man, bro, he was like, he was like, I love, I love your energy, bro. I love how you, you're on these Zoom calls and you're talking about what we need to do when you, you know what I mean? You're bringing up these initiatives and things. He was like, I'm going to need you. And I was like, need me for, he was like, I got this Carnegie. And I was like, I was like, wait, shit, wait, Carnegie Hall? He was like, yeah, he was like, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm about to be, a, I'm an ambassador. I'm about to be on the board of Carnegie. And I was like, really? He was like, and you know, Robert Smith is the chairman. And I was like, wow. I said, I didn't even know that. So we got to talking and he was like, I want to, I want to introduce you to the people at Carnegie. And I was like, oh. I'm sorry, let me stop you there. So Robert Smith was the chairman of he's Carnegie the, Hall? He's the chairman of the board. He's the chairman of the And when, when did that take place? Probably about a year ago, year year and a half ago. Yeah, he's okay. So, so that was fairly new because that, that's a big that's a big statement in itself. Yes, huge. So Robert Smith, so he was like, man, he wants to, they want to bring culture over to Carnegie Hall, and he was like, he was like, I've seen you talk, I've heard you, and he said, I know you're the man for the job. I know you can make this happen, and I said, one thousand percent, I can make. It. Unequivocally, know that I could. I could change the culture over at Carnegie. And he said, all right. And he said, and I said, I said, I said, um, I called him back. I said, Cyrus, this is one thing that, uh, his name is Cyrus, by the way. And yep. I said, I said, yo, man, listen. I said, can we make sure that anything, everything we do is black tie? He said, absolutely. Mm. All I want. So you set that standard. Yes. Yes, I said that. I like listen, bro. If we're gonna do this, let's do it the right. Because you know, Aston, we we used to dress up to go out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was we we wanted to. We wanted to. We wanted to show off. You know what I mean? We wanted the, you know, flex or whatever. However you want to call it. You know what I mean? Or we wanted to come. I remember the award shows. You no know, award shows used to be everything for y'all, man. And it, it was always everybody wanted to have the drip. You feel me? So that's right. I said, I said, yo, man, we got it. We got to do it that way, or we can't do. It. He was like, man, I, I, I'm with you on it. So he introduced me to the people, um, and you know, I got to start talking to them, and they were, you know, really, really ex receptive to to me, and you know, invited me to the chairman's dinner, and you know, I took. Uh, Took a good friend of mine, you probably know her, Kathy Hughes. Took Kathy Hughes with me to the chairman's dinner. I love how you just dropped that, by the way. That that's very TR of you. Please continue. So yeah, she was my she was my my guest that day. Took her there. We went, and this is when I first met Robert. And um when we were in our, and the mayor was there, the mayor of New York was there, and a bunch of big wigs were there at at this chairman's dinner. So I'm in the hallway and they introduced me to Robert. Clive. Clive is the chairman of Carnegie Hall. And uh mm -hmm. Robert is the chairman of the board. Carnegie. So Clive introduced me 
And the first thing he said to me was, yo, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. That's mm. the first thing Robert Smith said. He said, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. Because by that time, we had announced that we were going to do the D-Nice concert there. That was the very first uh, event that we had. And I was with your guy, Jaha. We were in the studio. And I was like, and we was with D-Nice and I got Jason Joshua, mixing engineer. We were mixing a record for D-Nice. And I was like, D, would you, would you like to go to be at Carnegie? And he looked, he looked at me and was like, what? He was like, man, that's my bucket list. Like, I would love to do cool. right. I would love to do that. How about that? I said, bro, I said, I could make that happen. He was like, man, you can't. I said, bro, watch this. Made it happen. They were excited. Everybody was excited about bringing Club Quarantine to, to Carnegie. So that was my first event. Event sold out. Ash, when I tell you the electricity, the, the amount of like black excellence that was in that room that night was mm -hmm. incredible. Everybody was dressed up. Everybody was, 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 it was just, it was electrifying. And the guy at Carnegie, because we were sitting, I was sitting in his, uh, his booth. He was like, he leaned over to me and said, Terry said, man, I've never seen the hall. This, 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 this dope. He said, I've never seen it. This, this, this many people with, I mean, with the enthusiasm that, that you, that, that I'm seeing. He said, I've never seen that. And I said, I looked back, I leaned over to him and I said, guess what? I said, 95% of people in here have never been to Carnegie. That part. Like, say that one more time. 95 percent of the people that are in here right now have never been to Carnegie. And but this goes back to the point that I just made in the intro about the significance of the disruption of culture that you are leading with this. Because for us who have grown up there, this was a never do. Never. You were never to set foot in there, bro. Never, never. Never to set, well, we, we were, because it was one of the first, I found this out, I did my history lesson. Well, we were, because we were, it was one of the first venues that allowed blacks to come into, like back in the day. Okay. With the, with the old, the old artists, you know, I found out Martin Luther King. Yeah, uh, allowing, allowing, allowing and creating an atmosphere with two totally different things, that's right? Ridiculous. Yeah, now that, that's true, right? So they, they, okay. So because my, my, my next question, my question to you is going to be, sorry, my, my question to you is going to be, because who has there ever been a black headliner of any sort in Carnegie Hall prior to D nice? Yes, of course. Jay-Z, nah, only okay. rapper. Okay. Um, okay. Yes, they've had, they've had, they've had, they've had uh, they had, um, other artists there, but it, it wasn't, Nobody really knew about it. like they are fighting. Like, right, a different. It's a different energy, man. You know what I mean? Jay Z okay. there, and I just found out that it wasn't even it wasn't even sold out. Like it wasn't, and the energy wasn't the same as as the energy that we the two events that we just did. Like I just found that out from people that went to that one and then went to this one. 
And I just, really, I was the concept. Jay and Nas, I said, Jay and Nas didn't like Nas nah, was wasn't the same. Was not the same. Wasn't the same. When were those? That was I think 13, 12 or thirteen years ago. Fourteen years. Ago. I think mm-hmm. remember when Nas Jay Sorry. kind of made up. Um, I think Jay brought him brought him out with him to Carnegie Hall. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that was it. So moving, moving, moving forward. So then me and Robert kind of, you know, established a relationship and Clive let me create a a council, a cultural council, which we were going to call it the black cultural council. So the cultural council consists of Teddy Ryan, Rodney Jerkins, Catherine Bruton, Chris Hicks, and Coach K. So those are those are my people that I brought in to be like, yo, this we this is the culture council. These are the people that are gonna move your advisor, this. your trusted editors. My trusted editors that I'm gonna get to move this whatever agenda you guys want, we're gonna move it forward. I, I feel confident in the team that I assembled. I call them the super Feel what I'm saying? Like, that's I love that. Super friends. Like, we assembled in super friends. That's what I did. So, um, they let me be now. So, now they've created this council that I'm going to be the chairman of. This is a brand new thing. Like, I'm going to be the chairman mm-hmm. of this council, right? Which has now not only expanded to, I mean, not only been black music, now it's a global music council, which incorporates Latin and black and African music and all of the music around the world. So I'm going to have Latin there. I'm going to have Latin artists there. You know what I mean? So it's a global music council now. It's evolved from just the black cultural council to a global now. Ah. Mm. You say cultural, it's we're bringing culture, culture. Like we're gonna have an Afrobeats concert in in Carnegie. Right. And so when you said that culture, because there's a number of things that you said in 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 walking us through this story. Initially, you said you were bringing culture to Carnegie Hall, which is exactly what you're saying. And now I get the context of that. And then you were also being tasked with changing the culture. So there's two things here, right? There was already a very distinctive culture that was established in Carnegie Hall. We've kind of teed some of that up. But you're also bringing another level of culture and dimension now to this venue. Yes, another another level. And it is so funny, Ash, because you know how in the music industry, how we function. This last minute, it's, you know, fly by fly night. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. Carnegie is a whole nother. They they book shows two and three years out, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So these these things have already been booked out. So when I'm coming in now, that's right. I'm bringing my my music business into it, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We can't do it. We can't do a show five months out from now. Like, how do we do that? How do we promote it? I was like, listen, this is what you guys have to realize. The people that we're bringing to this venue, because it only holds 2,800, so it's not a huge venue. So I said, the people right. that we're bringing to the venue now, the type of artists that we're bringing, 
They sell out arenas. They sell out stadiums. You know what I mean? So 2,800 is not. I said their social media is more powerful than anything that you have, than any type of marketing that you're going to ever be able to do. Just them putting out, mm. uh, uh, D-Nice putting out and going live on his IG, immediately ticket sales jumped. Immediately. Immediately. Where I mean, so, so those are the type of things that I'm changing the culture. Like they're they're pivoting, they're they're changing the way they you know how they operate when it comes to. And so, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, bro, because now you've added another piece of added value that you brought to the table to enhance the value of that of Carnegie Hall, and you're helping them to exercise a muscle of nimbleness, right? the nimbleness of being able to do something in five to six months that they never would have fathomed they, they don't. being able to do. You've now brought that, you've now brought that level of excellence to this proposition that they are going to now benefit from tremendously across all lines of their business to be able to say, oh no, we don't have to just do things two years out, a year out. Yeah. We can do it five to six months out and here's why. Here's why. You know what I'm saying? So, and 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 there's some there's some other components that are that are really exciting me about Carnegie is which you probably didn't know and half the when not ninety percent of our community does know they're in the community right they they do shows they do they have performances at Sing Sing like they take artists to Sing Sing to perform um mm. yeah yes right and they have these these workshops in the in the show in the um in the neighborhoods for the underprivileged kids, but nobody knows about it because they don't have, they are not putting the right talent in these mm. spots. You feel what I'm saying? So absolutely. what I'm doing is I told them, I'm like, listen, we're going to blow these programs up because I'm going to bring you the best talent, which is going to equate to more people under knowing what you guys are doing in the community. Like we did, we did Buster at Buster Rhymes with this, um, my last event with Robert Smith, and it was yep. a financial literacy um, component to it, which had never been done in Carnegie. It had never been a financial literacy performance. Is, we're talking, we talking financial literacy at Carnegie. I love it. Like, love it, man. Like, and, and, and Ash, what was so thing I, I, I told Robert, I said, Robert, I want to do. I said, "Do you know the EYL guys?" He was like, "Oh, the Earn Your Leisure guys." I was like, "He was like, yeah." I was like, "I want to do. I want to do you and them. I want to do a financial literacy." He was like, he looked at me. He was like, "Do it. Just get it done." And that was probably right after the D Nice thing, which was last month. And and mm-hmm. and we did it. We sold out. Rainy night in New York on a Monday night. Sold out. People dressed up. I mean, it was. It was, it was electrifying, right? So in saying that, I was with with my point I was making was the Buster Buster Rhymes thing and the uh, going back to the other programs they have. So now I'm going to get Buster. I talked to his manager. Now he's going to perform and sing. They'd never had an artist of the caliber of Buster performing and sing. You feel what I'm saying? Disruption, disruption. I, I'd say the culture of disruption is what you stand for. And and look, I I just want to say for the record, 
I have not been able to attend either one of these events. And when I tell you, I, no, no, listen, listen to me right now. When I tell you I have the highest level of FOMO, every time I saw a post, now, T, I'm telling you, goosebumps, every time I saw somebody post something because I can feel the essence of what this represents in the moment for both events, both. Like, I mean, you would have thought for the second one, it might have kind of dwindled down a little bit in terms of, all right, they're doing something else there. Mm -hmm. No, sir. My level of FOMO grew higher. My goosebumps stayed longer. And again, it might just be because of my history, of what I'm now seeing and hearing with my eyes and ears right. and what's being shifted so significantly in a very impactful, authentic way. So I applaud you and the team. But that alone. So let me go even deeper. Um, which you, you're gonna, you're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna go even deeper because you're gonna, you're gonna be like, wow. So you know, Ryan has a Greenwood bank. Yes, he does. Ryan Glover. We love the event. There's never been a black bank that ever sponsored any type of event at Carnegie ever. Come on, man. Three. Come on, man. I love that. How how deep is that? I love that. How deep is that? I, I mean, I can, I mean, my, my smile. I'm smiling. My my smile is hurting me. Yo, it was plastered everywhere, all over the venue. Mm. Mm. You feel me? And a thousand percent. I, I didn't even know that. Greenwood, yes. I bought Greenwood in to be one of the major sponsors of Carnegie Hall. So all the events that we do, Greenwood's going to be a part of. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like that's how we're changing the culture. Right. But, but you know what? To be honest, I think that's how you're also changing the culture outside of the walls yeah. of Carnegie. Mm -hmm. Because... You're coming with a collective, a collective of everybody bringing their respective expertise, their respective credibility yeah. into spaces and changing the way in which these spaces are being perceived, yeah. changing the way these spaces are to be represented. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a great case study for us to take and say, look what we can do together in an impactful way. And share with the world, and, and and enjoy it, and you know, people people are seeing how we can we can come together and and have something very very successful and very very, um, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it 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 really is. Yeah, bro. Um, you know, I look at this as also being something where you're you're like a a, a bridge builder, right? And um, as a bridge builder, I think what many people don't realize is that you actually get walked on by both sides, mm -hmm. right? And in your work of, of bridging what you call culturally relevant and diverse music into spaces, walk me through you know, some of the many hurdles that you have or have to you know, persevere through this. Because this doesn't come without a ton of roadblocks a ton of adversity or trials, but as a bridge builder, you have to know that you're going to get walked on by both sides. So I just want to hear some of those things that you've had to persevere through. Me, bro, this is this is my thing, and this is 
what I've been preaching is like as black men, man, we have two, two, two major, major, and that is we don't like to share resources and we and our egos get in the way of a lot of a lot of things. You know what I mean? Mm. So when you when you do that, um, it it hurts us all, man. It hurts the entire culture. You know, when you don't want another successful black man in your meeting or another, you know, successful person in your meeting because you feel threatened, that doesn't help. That doesn't move the culture forward. You feel, feel what I'm saying? And we experience mm-hmm. that all the time, you know? Um, so with me and my man Cyrus bringing me in and me bringing in all of these other people, um, Coach and Chris, and they all have access to Rocksmith. You know what I mean? They all have access. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not harboring any type of um, resources. You know. I'm, I'm like, listen, bro. You can have my resources because guess what? I know that my value is never going to diminish. And people who mm. feel that their value will d- diminish will not bring other folks into their situation. Because That's right. Right. That's right. You. You feel what I'm saying? Mm. I don't. So that. That. That to me has been the, the the most problematic thing is that we don't we don't share resources, man. We let our egos destroy a lot of a lot of relationships, a lot of a lot of things and, and other communities they don't function like they don't function how we function. Nope. In that capacity. They share resources in that capacity. Each other, but they will do business together, you know what I mean? And they'll get money with each other and, and they stick together. We just that to me has been the biggest roadblock is us not being able to bring more people into certain situations that we that we come with. And I'm I'm not the one. I'm not Yeah, but I, Well, yeah, so first off, you put it in the sense of, you know, we're all children of God, um, who've been given these gifts and what he has for you, no man or anyone can take from you. Absolutely. Right? And that in, in, includes you sharing the gifts that you have and be comfortable with sharing. And I know you know, right. But I think the more we have to spread not only this insight, but I I do think for many, they need to see examples of it, right? Because a lot of people say, yeah, I can, people talk about it, they talk about it, talk about it, but let let me see it, let me see it. And what you're doing is, yeah, they could see it through y'all. So I just ask that, you sh- as much energy as you put into putting these amazing programs together with this, you know, the culture council, I think figuring out a way to ensure that you're sharing the story of how the super friend, yeah. right, have come together. Everybody's all amazing in their own way and they're sharing their own pieces and they're also receiving other pieces from their respective super friends right. within this group. And we're, and you're all moving together stronger because of it. And that's it. That's it. I'll give you a perfect example. Like, you know my guy, Lou Tucker. Lou, I love Lou. I've known Lou for for years. So Lou Tucker, he was the one who brought, actually came up with the financial thing. And um, he was like, man, what do you think? And I was like, hey, Lou, let me let me run it up to Slackpole. And then I went to Robert. And mm-hmm. Robert said, cool, let's run it. So in doing that, I introduced Lou to all of the people at Cardi. And he just started, you know, he developed a relationship. And then one day he just called me and was like, bro, the, 
Do you need to be included on everything? I'm like, bro, no, I don't need to see it. Dude, make it happen. That's right. I'm not going to sit here and babysit you and tell you like, yo, you got to call me to get to this person or get to, no, man, just make it happen. And, and, Good for you. and it all came together. But I know some people who wouldn't let someone have their resources or be directly connected with someone. That's right. Have conversations without you or Zoom calls without you. You feel what I'm saying? So to me, that was my way. I was like, Lou, man, like, yo, and, and it came out and it was it was an amazing event. And, you know, he developed relationships over at Carnegie. But, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop him from talking to people at Carnegie. That, that makes no sense. Because everything has to channel back to I'm Italy. Like, you feel me? Right. You know what I'm saying? I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. That You know what I'm saying? So, but a lot of people, I wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, ha have been able to do that. You feel me? I wouldn't have been able to, to do that. Some people are just not built the way they are. You know what I mean? They see an opportunity That's right. to try to take advantage of it. So in saying that, it's just, it's just, man, we just, just about the egos and, and resources. We gotta, we gotta share. No, fair. We gotta share. Fair, fair, fair. And, you know, I, I look at, in addition to this, when you talk about sharing and doing all the great work in this space of shifting culture, I know, you know, content is now a big thing for you. And it's such a powerful tool, I think, in shaping and informing many as it relates to culture, to be honest. And I see you're also involved in things like bringing content to the forefront with projects like Freaknik, I think of Hulu, um, the Allen Iverson biopic. Um, why is it so important for you, though, to share these stories? Because um, one of your other questions that you sent me was the reason why Freaknik was so, so important to me. Is because that changed the way I, that changed the way I looked at music and how I looked at the the, uh, the culture of Atlanta and how it made me look differently at at music and where I was going to go and the, the you know the direction that I was going to take so that project coming back to me was very very dear to me because that was the first thing that we did the m most major thing we did was do a show of Freaknik that was our most um productive show and that was the time that shifted our focus from being uh from doing shows to actually having a record label mm. you know what i'm saying so we came down there we were doing shows we didn't have we weren't we weren't talking about doing music or anything we were just concentrating on drawing our little concerts and doing our little shows and then once we got to atlanta it was like hey Wait a minute, bro. It's black people down here that are really like they moving around like, like it's it's sexy. Like police don't don't pull you out your car or like that. And we're like, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, yo, this is a whole different environment that we weren't used to. So that shift kind of propelled us to to do things on a different level. Um, which in turn, you know, helped us to facilitate all of these artists, producers, songwriters, executives, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like our executive tree is, is, 
phenomenal. Like people, the Jaha, the Shante, Shanti, um, Shakir. You feel what I'm saying? All these people came mm-hmm. from, from from our tree, and they worked. You know, they worked closely with us, and it was just amazing to see how we flourished once we got to Atlanta and started, you know, putting our, putting our foot in the ground. So that, that was to answer one of your other questions, like what, what, how this Freaknik, yeah, Freaknik changed, changed everything for me. Everything particular. Love it. Yeah, for sure. Love it. So again, you've done so much and historically, you know, I'm sorry. And so the by the Island Iverson, which is yes, was brought to me by a good friend that you probably know, Brian Prescott. <laughs> you and you know the irony. The irony that he brought that to you is, you know, again, back home in New York, we used to have an amazing Saturday morning run, bro, and we all used to go at it. Something terrible. I missed that run so much, and Bree would be there every week. Yeah, Anton, let me tell you something. The buckets were given out, and it felt so good. But I'm sorry. I just had to put that out there. Yeah, well, that's true. So, I mean, a good brother, and um, just, um, like, he, he, he brought it to me because I have, you know, had started developing relationships in the, in the film film world, and, you know, he brought it to me, and I was just like, yo, man, I'm, I was a part of that. I'm from D.C. I'm Georgetown, my favorite college basketball. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was with Alan. Because Victor Page was, I was I like a son to me. And that was Alan's backcourt mate. I don't know if you remember. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Stop that for one second. I had no clue of this part. You know, I went to college with Victor Page. He went to UMES before he came over to Georgetown. Do you remember? Oh, well, of course you remember that. Yeah. That was, I raised, it's so crazy. I raised Victor, man. Me and Victor used to, yeah. how? We used to, listen, this is how me and Victor go. Like, we used to, because neighbor, this neighborhood, he had a court, and they didn't have any lights. So we would use, we would put the car lights on the court, and me and him would shoot. We would shoot play horse all night, and then Alan would come over and join us, and we go to the, you know, gym. So I, I I used to I used to run with him and Alan all the time, and um, I'll tell you a story of uh, me. We went to remember run and shoot, right? In Atlanta, right? So this yeah. is me. This is my team at, at Run and Shoot. Me, Alan Iverson, Stefan Malberg, and uh, the other dude from Syracuse. Wow, Wallace. Um, oh, John Wallace. Yes. 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 John Wallace. Yes. Yet. yes. Me, him, and another dude from New York. Bro, we went into to run a shoot and shut the entire gym down. You know, I used to be so many people on different courts, multiple courts. Every yeah, everybody came to that court. Was assembling teams, trying to put together teams, bro. Or we stayed in there all freaking day, from from morning to night, bro. We were winning, and it was just it was just so amazing because guess what? I was getting passes from Allen and Stefan. Like, they were passing me the ball to shoot because I'm an excellent, incredible shooter. I don't know if you know. I, I, I don't speak to Rob. 
So it was just, so I love it. So that's part of my, you know, that's, I mean, ooh, Alan Iverson and Stephon Marbury and, and John Wallace, yeah, we went, we are willing to run and shoot and, and shut it down. So, so going back to that, so Breon bought me Alan thing. So I'm very, you know, I'm close to that. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, when he bought that, I was like, yo, this story needs to be told because nobody really knows the true story of how Alan was, was wronged, how, you know, the stuff that happened in the bowling alley with him in Virginia and how the governor yep. Yep. had to pardon him to get out and how John, you know, um, took him under his wings and, and brought him up to Georgetown, you know, his history after that. I mean, and he pretty much, he changed the face of the NBA for a long time. Oh, facts. 1,000%. Nobody had 1,000%. Nobody had him. So, uh, Karen Rose, nobody. Nobody. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I no, I'm so glad you said the word history. Yeah. And I think his history is more culturally. You said history. Culturally relevant than George's story. Like, like from a cultural standpoint, Allen had more impact mm-hmm. than Jordan. You feel me? Thanks. No, because he, because nobody was doing that. Nobody had tattoos, and fucking, they changed the dress code because of him. Remember? That's right. That's right. That's right. Wow. Oh, they made people you have to start wearing, you know, button ups and stuff. Like you couldn't wear the, the the street stuff. And Allen was the was the forefront of that. Yeah. You know, and so I think this this next question you kind of answered this, but I'd just love for you to be able to you know, articulate it. It's, it's obvious that it's critical to preserve and grow black culture for you and, and talent. And, and I want to know the role that you see yourself playing within it. Um, and again, I think you've mentioned some, but it would just be good to hear from you. Like how critical is it and what role do you play? For the culture? You say for the... Yeah. I mean, preserving and growing black culture. It's just... Custom this thing. I think it's about respecting respecting the culture, first and foremost. Oh uh, and just being humble about it, man. I just think that in order for it to grow, we have to keep keep planting the right seeds for so so the youth and the people that are coming up can actually benefit from the the, the foundation that that we're we're building for them and let them know that. You know, you don't have to have it eat. You don't have to not share resources with your with your fellow peer. You know what I mean? Like, let's just keep growing this culture that that we have, and take it. Just keep taking it to the next level because, you know, our culture is is the culture of all cultures. There's no other mm. culture that that can compare to. You know what I mean? Um, round the ring. You know what I mean? Our cultures constantly exploit it um and you know it's we have to have to protect it we have to protect it and and benefit from it benefit i love that you said that word because i think you know a lot of times we look at benefit and that equates into capital or equity right Mm -hmm. um are are there other ways though that black culture could be recognized and celebrated? And if so, are we close to getting that recognition? I, I think so, Ash. I really think that we, we're, we're on the cusp of 
um, doing that. You know what I mean? But it has to, we have to stay united. We have to stay mainly focused, man, on mm. trying to, what we're trying to do and how we're trying to, how we're trying to be perceived. You know what I mean? Like the perception is a little off right now. And I think we need to get it back on track and um, make sure that, you know, we're, we're, we're all trying to do whatever it is to move our culture forward because it's, it's, it's value. It's, it's value. There's no other, Super. there's no other Super. more valuable than that. Learn. No, agree. Agree. Learn. Agree. So, you know, given your music background and the many things, I, I love asking this question, right? So the opening scene to your life documentary is about to begin. The Terry Ross TR story. What song is playing and why, bro? Jay-Z, my first song. What's Jay, which song? My first song. You don't know that song? I don't think I know that song. No. Come on, come on. My first song, where he's talked with, where Biggie comes on in the beginning and says, Huff always told me to. Yes. Gotcha. Sorry. Check. That's all. Okay, why? Because it just it just speaks on like the humbleness and the and the and and the amount of dedication that you have to have to make to to keep to keep going. You know what I mean? Uh, and he explains it and like he goes back to, you know, all the people that helped him and all the people that were there when he was when he was making it. You know what I mean? And and it made him who he was. And that's that's what I learned. Mm. You know, I want people to look at me like that, like, yo, this guy was somebody who, you know, helped us and moved us forward and, you know, brought 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 resources and brought, you know, everybody's egos down. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like that song to me represents my me. It, it represents me because I feel I love it. You know what I mean? He was real humble in that song, and he was just 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 who I am. You feel me? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, we always close with this question. Um, you know, we 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 use the analogy of farming a lot and planting of seeds, and even you talked about the seeds that came from you know the early days of the you know rest in peace to Shakir, the Jahas, Shates, and of the world. Um, and so, from a seed standpoint. Um, what are the three seeds you'd want to leave with the stewards of culture moving forward? If there were three things, three seeds that you'd want to plant in them, what would they be? Um, I said one of them before. Respect, definitely. Why not them? Love it. I had, I had actually, can I look at my thing? Because I had these written. Please, please do. I wrote, I wrote these down. Oh, there's it. Inclusion, respect, and responsibility. Mm. Very powerful. Those are the those are the three C's I want. I want to, inclusion is is very important. Uh, respect and responsible. Let's be responsible for 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 everything that we do and moving our culture forward. We all have to be responsible. So that those are the mm. three. Those are the three things. And we have to respect each other. Terry, man.
Yeah, no, I, I got to tell you, uh, like I said, I, I was super excited about this conversation for so many reasons and the work that God is doing through you as a vessel of purpose. Um, I, I want to applaud you again and thank you for, for walking everyone through the journey that you're still on and the great work that you're still going to do. And not only in, as it pertains to Carnegie Hall, um, but, but that in itself is monumental. I, I think this can be used as amazing case study, um, an example for many to look at how powerful we can be as a collective and an intentional, intentional, intentionally um, to shift and shape what this looks like moving forward. And for that, I love and I thank you. Real talk. And as can I say one more thing? Absolutely. There's one thing I want to tell you how powerful this Carnegie Hall play. So you know, right after the Nice did Carnegie, he did the Kennedy Center. Yes. So it's infectious. Jeezy just did the Atlanta Orchestra in it. That's right. That's right. So what what are we talking about here? We're talking about the ripple effect. Absolutely. 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 So now Jeezy wants to do Carnegie. D-Nice is coming back in, to Carnegie this year. In sometime in July. I don't know what, what day, but he's coming back. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a ripple effect. We have the 50th anniversary of hip-hop coming up at Carnegie uh, with Kadar and Peter. Yeah, I'm there. I'm not, I'm not missing that one. FOMO, not happening in the building. You know what I mean? In the building. People are and, calling me. And this is the infectious nature of what you're doing. You have no idea how many people calling me saying, I want to, I want to, I want to touch that stage. I want to, I want to touch that. So mm. there you go. So like I said, the Kennedy Center called now Atlanta Orchestra. Everybody's trying to do what we start, what we do, what we're doing. You're shifting. You're shifting the culture, bro. And for that, I applaud you, bro. Thank you, man. Bro, you, you have to be there. You don't come. No, really, really, None. really. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be hurt actually if you don't come. Hold up, say less, say less. Overstood, overstood. In the building, in the building. Thank you again, bro. You got a personal invite. No, I know. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Bring your, bring your daughters too. That's that's right. You know what? That is. There you go. That is the, the handing of the baton, the changing of guard. I'm sorry? they never been, right? No. Okay. All right, then bring your daughters, man. Bring your daughters. Unless. I love you, bro. Thank you, man. All right, uh.